people's time is a little bit is valuable. So let's go ahead and get it started. You're saying it's a nice sunny day. Let's uh, yeah. get this yeah. thing going. Yeah. Right. It should be sitting outside. <laughs> if Zoom could be outside or Parks and Rec, we could make that happen. I'm going to go ahead and, and read a, a brief statement. Welcome to the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board meeting. It is May 10th. My name is Penny Holler. I will be facilitating the Zoom video portion of this meeting. I'm joined here by Director Derek Rogers and additional Parks and Rec staff via Zoom. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. During this meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu. This section is also where you can turn your camera on and off. For purposes of this public meeting, please keep your camera on during the meeting. For general public comment, Chair Bart Littlejohn will call you by name to speak. Each participant has three minutes for public comment. After public comment is over, you are welcome to stay on the call if you would like. For comment on agenda items, Chair Bart Littlejohn will call you by name after the staff presentation. Each participant has three minutes for public comment. Board members will then continue their discussion. Also a reminder to please state your name and title each time you speak. And if a vote is necessary, the chair will capture votes from each advisory board member separately by roll call vote. With that, I'd like to turn the meeting over to Chair Bart Littlejohn. Hello everyone and welcome to uh, this month's meeting. Uh, first of all, I'd like to do a roll call um, and get us started off. I will do it as I see folks. <laughs> Um, Amber Nickel. Here. Okay. Pat. Here. Okay. Marilyn Hall. Here. Brendan Downey. Here. Jackie Becker. Here. John Nalbandian. Oh. And Bart Littlejohn. I think we had some people drop off there. So, okay, we're at seven. So it's still a four. All right. Um, with that, I will go ahead and bring us the order. Um, looks like the first item on the agenda is are the minutes from the April meeting. If you haven't had a chance to go ahead and review those, please. Review the minutes from the April 12th meeting, please. I would move approval of the minutes. OK. 
Okay, and this is Bart Little John Chair and Marilyn Hall with the motion to approve. This is Amber Nichols. I second the motion. Okay, and Amber Nickel with the second. Um, any sort of questions or discussion about the minutes? Seeing none, all those in favor of approving the minutes, please say aye or raise your hand. Looking at a lot of them. Pat, how do you feel? Okay, good. Uh, any opposed, please say nay. Looks like the minutes are approved. All right, uh, good deal. Um, okay, just to go ahead and move us on, looks like the first agenda item is the Outdoor Aquatic Center uh, and the opening plans. Um, I have definitely heard a lot of people interested in that, so I will be interested as well. Penny Hollow Ranch Analyst, I'd like to uh, introduce uh, Brandy Shoemaker, um, Recreation Manager. Um, she also has some additional um, supervisors with her. Um, Brandy, do you want to go ahead and introduce your group and this topic? Yes, I sure can. Uh, so uh, with me for the meeting tonight, I have uh, Taylor Martin, who is the uh, Recreation Supervisor at Sport Pavilion Lawrence, as well as Lori Mattis, who is our Aquatic Supervisor. And uh, I will let uh, Lori go ahead and talk regarding the plans for the indoor and outdoor pool for the summer. And then we'll be able to answer questions as needed. Um, as far as, first off, I want everybody to know that, um, that we want the outdoor pool open this summer. We're not um, trying to find ways not to open it, um, but we need to be able to open it safely um, with enough staff this year is going to be a challenge just from the aspect of that they're going to be very young and very green staff um, and that kind of floats a concern for us safety wise um, some of them a good majority of them will be hitting the deck um, two days after class um, with not a whole lot of experience or introduction to the outdoor or the indoor pool. So um, that is a concern, but we do want it open. We are working hard to get it open um, and to get it staffed. So I'll entertain questions. Lori, last time I heard there was like a hundred positions that you were needing as far as lifeguards. Um, from the paper article, did you get responses after that? We do. We did get um, some responses at, at this moment as of this afternoon at three o'clock. Um, we have um, 38 applicants that are in that have applied for a lifeguard position. Um, and 28 of them are <laughs> scheduled for interviews over the next couple weeks. Um, our challenge with them is most of them are in high school. Um, so we've got to work around getting them in um, around school and other activities that they're having, but um, they are all in the books. As the applicants come in, we are calling them, contacting them, um, and getting them getting them scheduled for interviews and, and pre-skills tests. This is John Nalbandian. Is this a matter of yes, we will open or no, we won't open? or uh, if we don't have enough people, we'll open partially, limited hours. 
or limited attendance or what what well, is that gonna be? we will we are going to do our best to get the outdoor pool open um it may be open shortened hours or um or amenities may be limited um our plan at this point is to have the uh, indoor pool open in the mornings um, until one and then shut down the indoor and open up the outdoor pool um, so we can shift those resources over there. Um, but that also preserves some of our water fitness programs, part, part of our learn to swim program. Um, it preserves our swim teams a little bit. Um, so, so we're trying we're trying to find that balance um, between safety and having facilities open. And this is not a problem unique to us. It's pretty much a nationwide thing. Um, we're on several Facebook pages of aquatic um, directors, and it's daily of people saying, "How are you dealing with this? How what what are you guys doing?" So. Um, Unfortunately, it's a nationwide thing, but um, we're doing our best to, to wade through it. Lori, this is Pat Phillips again. Um, you know, I, I swim in the morning and um, I you know a lot, lot of locker room chatter when there was a, the buzz of possibly closing in the morning. And a lot of the people that take the class um, were not too happy about that. So I'm really glad to hear of your plan. Um, as, as you know, a lot of these folks, and most of them are, are ladies, it's not just recreation, it's quality of their life and mobility and independence. And so they were talking loud, and I'm sure you heard a lot. So I appreciate the plan. Lori, this is Marilyn Ho, board member. Uh, <clears throat> was the 38 the total number of guards you have applying or were that just the new people? In other words, are there, and is there an additional number of experienced guards coming back? We have a handful of very few right now experienced guards coming back. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, uh, most of them have aged out, have graduated and are now in uh, jobs of their field. Um, or ones that, you know, we're on school online, um, like KU students that were online for school, so they didn't come back to this area. They, they stayed home. Um, so we have a few handful of guards that are returning. Um, but it's not anything that we've done. It's just the circumstance. Right. And Marilyn Hull again. I understand that. Um, I do wonder if and how much the wages may be a factor in attracting people. What's your sense on that, Lori? Um, I I don't I don't a hundred percent think it's the wages. It might be it a little bit, but I don't think it's a hundred percent. Um, we know from experience that um, after college finals, we'll get an influx of applications um, after uh, 
the school district is out, we'll get a little bit more influx of applications because a lot of people wait until um, school's out before they look for that summer job. It's not like when I was in, in college, my dad was the placement director for the school business at KU. And he would tell me, you come home from spring break and you find your summer job then. It's not that way anymore. It's just not. And school's not getting out until later. Um, and like, I know track state and swimming state isn't until Memorial Day weekend. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Marilyn, this is Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. And uh, just wanted to let everybody know, first of all, that um, Lori and her staff and uh, myself, Lee and Derek have met extensively, you know, about um, what to do as we move forward with the indoor and outdoor pool. And we are doing everything possible that we can to provide as much amenities, as many hours as possible at both facilities. With regard specifically to the question about wages, uh, we did do an increase in wages at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, basically right, you know, as the pandemic, you know, uh, was set to hit. And so uh, there has been an increase in wages uh, currently that staff are seeing who are on um, our payroll and we are looking at other options. But as Lori said, that's one factor. We obviously know there's some other factors that are influencing some other decisions. And, you know, we're working to do the best that we can to address those as much as possible. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. This is Brendan Downey. I uh, just curious, what are some of the recruiting strategies you guys have done other than, I know there was an email that was sent out and um, there was uh, an announcement in the paper, but what are some of the other things you guys have tried? Um, we've got some banners that are hung both at the indoor pool and at the outdoor pool. Um, plus there's one on Free State High School's fence around the football stadium. We've sent, um, about the middle of March, we sent um, uh, information to the Greek system at KU um, to, to have them cultivate in that system. Um, plus, we've got information on Indeed, and um, it's out there on Facebook, several other social media aspects also. Why don't you let me elaborate a little bit on that? Um, one of the questions we got was, well, were you late in advertising? We've been advertising year round for all our positions. That's not just lifeguards, it's maintenance also. And again, it's nationwide. Um, to the price of, or the wage issue, um, for example, I see World's Funds advertising at 15 bucks an hour and they're having a hard time recruiting. Great Wolf Lodge is at 12 to $15 an hour. They're having a hard time recruiting. There are other organizations within Lawrence that hire lifeguards that are less than we are. Um, and yes, we can adjust wages and we are reviewing that. To uh, where we advertise, it's been ongoing on external job bulletin boards. Baker, Bethel College, North Newton, Butler Community College, Emporia State, Fort Hayes, uh, Friends, K-State, McPherson, American Nazarene, Newman University, Oral Roberts, Park University, Pittsburgh State, University of Missouri, Kansas City, University of St. Mary's, Washburn University, WSU, Kansas Works, Career Builder, Indeed, North Shore World, Hired Jayhawks. Job Bolton's been sent out to LHS, Free State High School, Bishop Seabury, Edora, LHS Counselors, Free State Counselors. Jobs have also been posted on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and virtual job fairs. 
um, a lot of a lot of attention's been put out to trying to get people to apply. Um, it's it's just a really tough market, and it's not just here; it's nationwide. Uh, returning lifeguards can sorry be increased. Yes, there there is a, a bump, and um, there's some there. One of the problems we had though. Since we didn't open that pool last year, we didn't have a bunch of people certified that could have come back right out of school. And now we've got to get them through 35 hours of training. So they graduate high school or they get out of high school and then we're going to put them in the class and then try to get them up to speed and see if there's anything else. Uh, benefits to all our part-timers, this is more general. Um, all City of Orange part-timers were offering a 20% discount for fitness. Uh, classes, things like that. So, yeah, it's not a lot, but it's something that we're trying to be creative with benefits to our part-time staff. Uh, Lori, anything I missed you'd like to follow up on our Randy? No, I think you hit it all. And, you know, the one thing I will say, last year um, we had or I received a lot of emails about people disappointed. We didn't open that in our pool. You know, Boys and Girls Club and a lot of kids were really looking forward to the outdoors that don't usually use the indoors. <laughs> and so again, I, I think this summer we'll end up with a blended model. Everybody get a little something they want, but they may not get everything they want. So the people in the programs at indoor um, will have some of their programs and we'll have swim teams out there, but they may not be fully open the lap swim all day. And the same with outdoor, we'll open up as much as we can. If we can staff the uh, amenities, the slides, diving boards, we'll do everything we can there. So it, it's probably gonna end up a blended system unless we get a lot of lifeguards coming out at the last minute. This is Amber Nickel, board member. I guess maybe this is for Derek, but I'm just, Curious. I hear that it's not necessarily wages, and I understand that the pipeline from last year isn't there. But what do you? What's the word on all these? You know, nationwide departments that are having issue. What's the thought behind that? And then are are there maybe some creative or different ways of employing people that? haven't been thought of before. Like I was a lifeguard 20 years ago and I'm a mom and I want the pool open. So if I got to come work a shift, like maybe I'm into that. <laughs> but do I have to go through 35 hours of training? <laughs> yeah, it, it's tough. It, it's hard to say that wages for a, for a you know, 16 year old kid is that big of a deal. It's usually the responsibility. I want a job. I want to be a lifeguard. This is something I've thought about since I was a little kid. Um, could unemployment have something to do for the uh, folks that are older than that, that are in part in college, not in high, high school, maybe. Um, that's been in the news. But the, the labor market is just not out there. The last jobs report, they were expecting, what, a million jobs and ended up 266,000. Um, I don't think we just see the, the people out in the workforce wanting jobs, and our HR staff is doing everything they can to, to try to generate leads and the applicants. Um, you know, I see McDonald's advertising $50, come on in and uh, um, we'll pay you 50 bucks for filling out an application. Um, you know, we, 
we are looking at other creative ways of how do we get people to apply and come in. This is Marilyn Hall, board member. Have you tried hitting up the master swimmers or any other group of retirees who might be appropriate candidates? I mean, to me, like I'm thinking about doing this just as a public service. And I'm wondering if there are other people out there that would consider it if they understood um, you know, what the situation is and how important it would be after a year of being completely closed to have the swimming pool open for kids. Um, I don't know, and Pat, you may, I don't know if you swim with the master's group or if you're in any kind of organized group, but I'm wondering if, um, if, you've, if there's been an attempt to reach out to those people who are regular swimmers. Yeah, full disclosure, my daughter was coaching or swimming with the masters, uh, but she's got an internship this summer. So she has lifeguarded before I believe, but uh, that, that's a good, a good uh, thought. I haven't thought of that. So uh, let me get with staff and see what we can't do to uh, see what we might be able to maybe we can get some help from the masters. Some of them have regular jobs and that's why they usually swim first thing in the morning still. It's a good thought. There, there, this is Lori Mattis, um, aquatic supervisor. Part of that article that was in the paper did talk about um, uh, older or senior citizens or um, you know, non-traditional uh, lifeguards. And we've had those before. Um, and we've, we've tried to, to let people know at the aquatic center that we do have classes set up. So if they do wanna apply, um, we do have classes set up. The classes are free. We've waived that fee. So um, to try to get some of those um, more seasoned people, what, what you want to call them, um, non-traditional lifeguards. That, that's always been an option that has been open. Jackie Becker, uh, as a U.S. master swimmer, uh, I definitely would, would say that back in the day, I was never a lifeguard because I spent six hours a day training. But what if we looked to maybe triathletes too and looked into that world or other people who might see a benefit in our community that have some swimming experience? And uh, the other thing I was curious about is, are there any short-term grants out there that we can write? Or again, like you're saying, if you're saying other places are having issues, is there a way that there's any kind of funding that could supplement uh, some of this, or are there any reduced training ways that someone who has water experience could not have to do the 35 hours or something, you know, ways that it's not as, you know, it's still safe, but maybe you don't have to go through the full training. It's something you could do online for a little bit less for someone who's say registered to us masters or as a, a triathlete or something like that. Our lifeguard training classes are blended learning. So there is, um, seven hours of, of online learning that is done before they come to class. Um, so that does shorten that hours a little bit um, because they come in, there's very little lectures. Most of it is your CPR training, your first aid training, and you're in the water training um, because they've gotten most of the videos and lectures online. So that has helped us. Um, it used to be a 40 hour class and now we've, um, <laughs> It's, it's about half now. Um, it's about a 20, 25 hour class because we do a blended learning. 
This is Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. And one of the challenges I think that other organizations are seeing is that um, there are less opportunities for employment for um, part-time positions because of the fact that there's less applicants, but there's a greater need. And Sorry. so one of the, the challenges that we have is that as you know, more athletes are specializing in sports year round, then we're seeing you know, uh, more of the uh, athletes continue to specialize in those areas versus look for part-time employment. And so we're not alone in that area. There's other recreation organizations that are in that same boat. And along that same line, um, there has also been a decrease you know, in the number of uh, swimming athletes. And so that's one of the other challenges is that as people are specializing in year-round sports, whether that is baseball or basketball, et cetera, then that limits the opportunities to have them diversified into other specialties. And with swimming being a highly specialized area, that's one of the things that is uh, creating a little bit more of a challenge for us in parks and recreation. Um, this is Pat Phillips, board member. Um, Lori, when it, when it comes to part-time, is that flexible as far as hours? And what I'm thinking of is the senior group. Um, because I, I do triathlons and I know a lot of people that we haven't been able to compete. And I think that, you know, they could be a good pool that like Jackie had mentioned as well as Marilyn, some of these clubs, but they might not want to do you know, a, a full schedule just because of where they're at in their life. Is that something that you would be flexible with? We are very flexible with, with the scheduling. Um, since we do employ a lot of high school and college students, and I'm just gonna go that direction at this point um, because they do have other activities. They, they have schoolwork, they have um, after school activities or outside activities. So we are very flexible um, when they come in for an orientation, we give them an availability sheet and they write down when they're available and we do our best to stay within those parameters. Um, so we would be the same way with um, anybody else that comes in being flexible with their time and when they can come in and work. Thank you. This is Brandon Downey. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Brandon. Well, so just one more suggestion. Um, it sounds like you guys have put in a ton of work, so just thank you for doing all of that. I think it could be effective for um, someone in the parks and rec department to go and do like a job fair in the local high schools. Um, so maybe one thing they could put parks and rec above another, another job is that, Hey, we're here advertising to you that we think our jobs are more fitting. And so, you know, it could be maintenance, it could be a lifeguard, whatever, but sending someone into Lawrence free state or Lawrence high and trying to, um, you know, get emails and phone numbers and then following up, um, handing out applications. I think, um, you know, that, that was effective at KU when I was, when we were trying to reach um, college students to apply for intramural sports. And I think it could be effective for your guys' situation as well. Um, Lori Mattis, Aquatic Supervisor. Uh, last year, not last year, the year before um, we did, we have a really good relationship with Mr. Graber, the principal at Free State High School. Um, because he sees our relationship with them as kind of a partnership. Um, so we were able to go into Free State High School during their lunch and set up a table um, and, and talk to students. Of course, that was a couple years ago too, before the pandemic. This year we have obviously haven't been able to get in because of, of that, 
Um, but that is why he let us put our banner on the on the football stadium um, is because of that partnership. Um, getting into Lawrence High has been a little bit more of a struggle, but I know that um, our HR, Amy Chavez, has, has contacted the high schools, and I think she's done some virtual um, job fairs with the high school, so... So we do try to, to work those angles, yes. This is Amber Nicole, board member. I'm curious, what are the shifts that are the most difficult to staff? I, I know people think, oh, those early mornings, but those really aren't the hard ones to staff. Um, actually, our, our shifts are, um, I would say probably our, our afternoon and evening class shifts are the ones that that are the tough ones um, once school's in session. But um, even during the summer, because a lot of people might have a second job, um, so they might work the evenings kind of thing. But um, but like I said, we do do work really hard. Or Becky works really hard making sure that that shifts work work for people and what they want. Jackie Becker. Uh, so going back to the kind of the population of people who come to the pool on, on the regular right now, um, I saw the sign out by the high school, but maybe there's something we could also put in the locker room because a lot of times you sign in and you just walk straight in and you don't talk or even converse with the person at the counter. And so maybe there could be some posters put up in the in the bathrooms and the shower areas for the people who are swimmers who might be interested in this. Um, okay. Other question is, um, would there be any type of trade-off, you know, where, hey, maybe you do, you know, you, you do the training, you learn how to do this and you can get a free pool pass for the year. Could there be some kind of incentivization maybe that some of the people who come and swim at the pool could get a free class or, or reduce rate or something if they helped take some shifts for the summer or something? I'll let Brandy do that. This is Brandy, Recreation Operations Manager. Um, that would be something that we would have to explore further with HR and finance because there are, you know, requirements associated with um, how much we're allowed to give certain things away for free and the benefits, et cetera. And so, you know, um, that would need to be um, followed up on appropriately to make sure that we're following the appropriate guidelines. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. This is Marilyn Hull. Uh, board member, I'm, I thought that was a great idea, Jackie. And um, if this is a, a situation where the advisory board could um, try to influence the city commission on this, I mean, I really, um, it's obvious this is a, ma a matter of interest to all of us because we've got these multi-million dollar facilities and part of stewarding them is having them open and and it's just really I and I totally get staff all of uh, you know the difficulties you're having but um it just feels like we need to pull out the stops to try to improve this situation and and okay it's not been a policy in the past to give away free stuff but that's if that's what it takes to staff the pools um, maybe it's worth changing that policy or, or adjusting it or 
making an exception to it or something like that. So um, we, you guys can honestly tell parents and Boys and Girls Club and everybody that, you know, we've pulled out all the stops. We've done everything we possibly can to make this attractive and to get these facilities open. Randy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. Um, certainly, Maryland, yes, we're, we're doing everything that we can. I know that with regard to, as Derek said earlier, the 20%, um, that is, you know, the current guidance of what we would be uh, allowed to do. Um, as far as, you know, the, the free option, like I said, that would need to be uh, explored further because I do know that there was a, a situation with uh, free golf at the golf course, and that was something that uh, was not allowed and so they had to make some changes to how that was done uh, appropriately based on finances and HR's recommendations. So, you know, certainly, you know, we will do um, what is appropriate within our uh, power to be able to do while making sure that we follow the, the guidance of the rest of the city departments too. Well, it's uh, given what everybody else apart little John uh, chair has to say about this, this is only a microcosm of, I mean, because we're, all of us are hearing a lot more than we're, we're letting you know. So this is something that is floating around the city and people are very, very concerned slash interested about it. So I would agree with the whole group that whatever we can do to make this available as soon as we can safely, um, it would behoove us to go ahead and do that. Randy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. Uh, Bart, I agree. Anything that you guys can do to help spread the word and encourage people to apply, you know, for these positions as lifeguards would be fantastic. You know, um, Lori and her staff are going to do everything they can to get it staffed uh, safely and to make sure we have as many hours open as possible. Uh, but certainly, you know, uh, just helping to spread the word, encouraging people to apply uh, would be wonderful. And we will certainly follow up accordingly and, and do our best to get them trained. Um, even if they don't have, you know, swimming and training experience, you know, we will certainly do our best to help them to uh, pass the prerequisites and then to be able to complete the training appropriately. So that way they can be successful while working for us and ensure that they are truly protecting the lives of the patrons that we're serving. Thank you for that. We, and like, you know, like, like Marilyn said, uh, we, we understand the predicament you guys are in, the tough situation you guys are in. And uh, we just want to make sure that we we do everything we can. So, um, and, uh, and and it sounds like we're, we're willing to help out on our end as well. So um, uh, hopefully this can just be an overall team effort. And hopefully we can have some great results on this, so. Thank you. Um, does anybody else have uh, Anything else to add to the conversation? Val, Val, Val Renault, board member. Um, it seems that we often talk about what, what our role is, you know, as, as advisory board members. So while we see that the staff is trying to do everything they can within the constraints they have, is this a time when we need to say something to the city commission or to the city manager, you know, just to put ourselves on record. Our minutes are on record, but, you know, do we need to make some kind of statement of support, you know, or, or something that uh, we, I like Marilyn's phrase, pulling out all the stops, considering incentives as well as um, whatever else may go into training qualifications, you know, uh, 
obviously still to keep people safe. So if that made sense. Uh, this is John Nalbandian. We have to be very careful about that because, you know, it's the whole issue of favoritism and uh, leading to graft and corruption and all of those kinds of things. And that's why those, um, those policies, practices, state laws are in place. So uh, we have to be careful about what we're advocating for. Any Heller Management Analyst, I'd like to add on, um, some of this is um, a little out of our control. If we're talking specifically items that might be taxable to employees. So some of that is set at a federal IRS level. Um, but what I'm, I'm hearing the board say um, is, we wanna look for every flexibility we can find. If that's a city policy and that's something we can influence, those are the things that um, I'm hearing from board members you'd like us to look at. I believe so. This is Bart Little, John Chair. Derek Rogers, Rick Parks Recreation. I, I will let you know, I think I've had probably 15 emails I sent to every city commissioner, the city manager, and most of our staff in response to uh, uh, the concerns about the possibility of the worst case scenario of closing the indoor aquatic center to open the outdoor pool. Um, have not heard any concerns about opening that door pool from the Boys and Girls Clubs or anybody else. It's one of those things, if you think your amenity is going to be open, you're not going to complain unless it's not open. <laughs> but uh, I can shut out some of those responses, which may help the advisory board um, answer the questions that you get. And it's a lot of things we've discussed tonight that I can share out in writing, just don't reply all. And uh, you put that in your, your suitcase of tools when the public contacts you. And um, if I'm missing something or we're missing something, uh, you've got some good notes from this meeting and you can share more. Thank you, Derek. Uh, Spark Little John Cheer. That, that would help greatly. Because uh, like I said, it's uh, I just know from my perspective, if I'm getting a lot of traffic on this, I'm pretty sure the rest of us are. Okay. All right, everyone. Uh, if we don't have any further questions, I'd like to go ahead and move us on to our next agenda item. I uh, believe that is the uh, Recreation Center key fob policy. Penny Hall, Management Analyst. Um, let me go ahead and, uh, Randy, if it's okay with you, I will screen share uh, the policy that was attached to the agenda. Um, and then I'll, I'll have um, Randy speak further to this. Yes, that'd be good, Penny. Thank you. Okay, hopefully everyone is looking at uh, a document titled Lawrence Parks and Recreation Department, Recreation Center Facilities. And while that's, uh, while everybody's looking at that, uh, just to let you know, uh, aquatics is not the only area that has struggled to find employees. We have had, you know, concerns with finding umpires, et cetera. And so our department is, you know, working to do what we can to fill those gaps and try to get as many people, you know, hired in, in appropriate positions as possible. So just so you know, Bart, that, that's another area that we have struggled with. Um, it is getting better, um, but part of it is timing with school as well at this point in time. So uh, moving forward with the um, access cards, uh, Bart, we'll defer to you. Do you want a short synopsis? I know this has been presented in the past, or do you want to open it up for questions and answers? What's your preference? 
Uh, if you would, go ahead and give us a, a synopsis, because I think it's been a while since uh, we've gone ahead and revisited it. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Sure. Uh, Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. So uh, just a, a short synopsis is, is that the uh, facility access cards, the purpose is to assist LPRD staff in monitoring the facilities, keeping an accurate record of attendance, and helping to ensure the safety of all patrons. With regard to uh, how this would work, anyone over the age of 10 would be required to have a valid access card to enter one of our recreation center facilities unless they were enrolled or participating in a program, attending a facility reservation, registering for a program or reserving a facility or paying the daily admission fee. And so anyone under the age of 10 would then be required uh, to be accompanied by a valid access card holder to enter one of our facilities unless they were personally enrolled and participating in an LPRD program or attending a facility reservation. And so how this would work is with regard to residents of the city of Lawrence and Douglas County, they would be able to use those public areas of our recreation center facilities, which would include the weight room, the cardio, the track and the gymnasium areas during hours of operation at no cost by showing their access card upon entry. Now, uh, they would have to still pay the fees for reserving a facility or participating in a program. And they would also have to pay any fees that would be required to attend tournaments that were held at those facilities. In addition, at the indoor and the outdoor aquatic centers, daily admission and aquatic pass rates would still be uh, in effect and sold separately. Residents uh, would be issued an initial access card at no charge if they were to uh, lose or have their uh, access card stolen, there would be a $5 replacement fee. If their card was damaged for any reason, then they could bring that card into one of our facilities and we would exchange that card at no cost. Uh, there would be uh, certain uh, documents that they could bring in that would provide for a proof of residency. And uh, bottom line is we just need to have those documents show their name and their address. And then there's a list of uh, examples of documents that they could bring in showing that they were a city of Lawrence or Douglas County resident. With regard to non-residents of the city of Lawrence or Douglas County, they could use the public areas of our recreation facilities during those same hours of operation by paying a daily admission fee or purchasing an access card and annual pass. Now, just keep in mind that the indoor and outdoor aquatic centers, those daily admission and aquatic passes, those are still sold separately and those are not included in the non-resident fees that we are describing. So the daily admission rate would be $5. If they chose to go the access card and annual pass route, that would be valid for 365 days specifically. And the cost would be $25. That includes $5 for the access card, $20 annually. The uh, renewal where they would have to have a valid access card would be $20. And then same as with residents, if they uh, had their card lost or stolen, it would be $5 for the replacement and damaged cards could be exchanged at no cost. And uh, non-residents of the city of Lawrence or Douglas County would not be required to have an access card if they were enrolled or participating in a program, attending a facility reservation, or if they were reserving or uh, signing up for a program, or if they were paying the daily admission fees. So. Uh, that is the synopsis of how the access card works in a nutshell. There was only a couple of modifications from what was presented back uh, last March. And the um, estimated dates of when we are looking to start to do a soft rollout would be Monday, May the 24th. 
And that would be when we would start to uh, help our residents to be able to sign up for the access cards and start scanning them in. And then our official deadline to where we would want everybody to have those access cards before they would come into our facility would be Monday, August the 2nd. So that would give us um, a couple of months to not only uh, help to get uh, patrons registered for the access card and also uh, educate the community, but also ensure that you know um, everything is, is working appropriately and that we have um, everybody informed of what the expectations will be going forward with the facilities. So with that, um, are there questions that I can answer or staff can answer at this point in time? This is Marilyn Hull, board member. How is the $20 annual fee for non-residents arrived at? Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. Um, at the direction of administration, it was to uh, try to keep the cost low. And so therefore, uh, we came up with uh, $20 annually so that we can start to track and see how many of uh, the uh, non-residents are actually utilizing our facility. It also was based off of... Uh, basic price ranges for uh, Sports Pavilion Lawrence. And so the $5 for the access card uh, went along with that as well. And uh, Derek, top management, uh, what is the rationale for trying to keep that amount low? The initial thought was we want people to register. So initially, my thought from last year, I'd have to go back through it was, let's get everybody a card, let's get the safety and security first. And then at the second year, when we know where everybody lives, then we reevaluate what we do with the fees. Um, so yeah, the fees are adjustable. Um, what's the fee now, Brandy, for a year at our, our Taylor uh, SPL? Uh, $150. So we could we could change that. Uh, this is uh, John Nelbandian, board member. Um, a couple of points. One, I think um, anything we can do to get an accurate uh, count of who is who is using the facilities and when those facilities are being used, uh, I think would be um, really. I would be very interested in knowing uh, that kind of information, especially if if there was a way to break that down by, you know, analytically by um, uh, what part of town does a person live in, what what uh, how many people use the sports complex that live on the east side of town. I mean, things like that I think can be very interesting if that information is part of getting the um, getting the cart. In addition, I have a friend who has been my age, who's been working out for forever, and who's lived not only all over the country, but he's lived in Mexico and some other places as well. Um, he just moved to Lawrence, and um, I took him down to the uh, community building uh, because I, he lives near there now. And I wanted him to show. I wanted to show him the weight room and so on. And he was blown away by it, and uh, by the cardio stuff in the weight room. And he said, "He said, how much is this?" I said, "Well, right now it doesn't cost anything." And he said, "I can't believe that." 
He said, I've never been in a facility like this anywhere in the country that doesn't cost, uh, that doesn't have an admissions fee. Thanks. I thought that was pretty interesting. Brandy Shoemaker, operations manager. Thank you, John, for sharing that. Um, certainly, we've done a lot of work to um, improve the amenities that we have at our facilities. And I think that um, the staff are, are very proud of what we've been able to do um, and the amenities that we're able to offer. And they are definitely well received um, by community members as well as those who visit from out of town. Yes. Uh, to your statement, we are planning to track that information in order to provide better metrics and statistics that will provide for uh, better reporting and analysis of who specifically is using our facility. And then Marilyn, uh, as Derek said, that information would then be utilized to help us as we go forward with setting not only those costs, but also um, we do have uh, some individuals who currently use, for instance, some of the smaller rec centers uh, just to play pickleball you know, and are not there on a continual basis, uh, more for like a drop-in situation. And so that also keeps that um, access card pass at an affordable rate for those individuals as well. Yeah, Derek Rogers, Parks Recreation. I think that was part of it because we're going from outside of Douglas County where we didn't charge anybody anything for community building resource center in Holcomb and now there is a charge. So not everything is, is forcibly in Lawrence. We're open to hearing suggestions. I think the big thing is let's get the data accurate and start tracking some of the metrics. This is Marilyn Hull again. I guess I, my two cents for what it's worth is that I think that's too low. Um, you know, there's a high cost to the taxpayers to providing these facilities. People who don't live in our county are not paying taxes to support these facilities. And um, I mean, $5 a month, to me, it would be minimal. And I think it, I would probably charge more than that. It just seems like if we really believe we're offering something of value uh, to people who aren't paying any taxes for it, to me, it makes sense to set that initial fee higher. And then when you uh, go to raise the fee, you know, you can raise it in a, in a more um, rational way rather than going for, from 21 year to, you know, 60 the next year or 100 or something that seems like an outrageous increase. I just wanted to throw that out there. So looking for input here since this will be our first annual fee for facilities. Amber Nickel, board member. I agree with Marilyn. I would say that I would probably tier it though for youth and have like a youth price, even between that 10 to, you know, 18. For outside of county? Yes. Okay. And then what are the thoughts about this forcibly in Lawrence? Is that $150 annually? What are your thoughts on that? Or should we be closer to that mark or further away? But uh, this is Bart Littlejohn, uh, Chair. Um, I would, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning to what Amber and Marilyn are thinking, uh, but I would want it to be uniform across the board so that we don't unfairly penalize uh, anyone for, you know, it's uh, going to different facilities. So 
Um, even though I know that the amenities are more at the, the pavilion, um, I think at least for this this first one that we should go ahead and be uniform on it. Well, that's why Derek Rogers Parks Recreation, that's why it says draft on it. So we're open to suggestions. Um, it's a good conversation. Look forward to hearing more. This is John Nelbandian, board member. Um, I, I wonder how many people use our facilities uh, from outside of Douglas County. I, I mean, it can't be that many, can it? Parks uh, Recreation. If you look where, if we were dead center of Douglas County, it'd be a different story. But we're pretty close to the. Perry Lecompton, Tonganoxy, and, and some of the folks that are not too far away from us that I don't have facilities, so thus we are the rec center that they come to, and that, that's probably sports and lane more or something. Uh, this is Bart Little John Chair. Uh, what I'm super excited about actually is uh, once we get that, once we get that data, so we can correlate it to, uh, like we were saying before, areas of town for our residents, um, and so that can be also matched up to the health report, so we can see exactly, um, you know, in those portions of town that we know have been disproportionately um, underserved, um, to see if those residents are, you know, um, you know, uh, participating in, you know, recreational activities. Uh, and if if not, what we can do to you know make it their access easier or the entry easier for them. So, Penny Hollow Management Analysts, um, the, the way we have this in our our software system is ideally we would have we track it by household. We would have the household zip code, which I think would probably line up nicely to. Um, the Douglas County um, health metrics that we um, have seen, um, and then look at, you know, areas of town and who we're serving with which facilities. I'm sorry, this is John Albandian, board member. You know, more than zip code, if you could, um, if you could chart it by voting precinct, the precincts are smaller, and uh, that would really be cool because you could really get, you know, pockets that way rather than zip codes, which are really fairly large. This is Pat Phillips, board member. Um, I just wanted to go back to the um, discussion about fees for um, people that live outside of Douglas County. And I'm in agreement that I think 20 uh, annually is, is fairly low. Um, you know, to come up with, with what is more appropriate is kind of a tough call, but at least $5 a month. So that would be 60 um, to, to bring it up to something. Because um, I'm in agreement too, um, these people aren't taxpayers and, and we have um, an immense valuable um, resources for recreation in our community that I think that we, we need to not undervalue by the $20 annual fee. Brady Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. Um, 
in talking with uh, Lori Madison with Taylor Martin, um, if we were to adjust that to $60 annually, then uh, basically that would work well with what we have with the uh, past situation at the uh, indoor and outdoor aquatic centers, respectfully. And uh, also in talking with Taylor um, and comparing what we know of who's coming in the sports pavilion as well as the other facilities, uh, most of them are adults. Uh, or, you know, uh, 16, 18 year olds and above who are in either playing uh, pickup basketball or who are in playing pickleball. So this would certainly uh, hit that target age group. Uh, we're not seeing at this juncture a lot of uh, Douglas County uh, or excuse me, non-Douglas County, non-City of Lawrence residents who are under the age of 16 coming into those facilities uh, for these purposes, unless they're a part of a reservation or a program. But again, that would be something that with these uh, access cards, we would be able to track better. This is Marilyn Hull, board member. I would just say um, for perspective, a couple of years ago, I spent a month in San Diego and uh, I worked out at a really, really crappy, dirty gym that was charging $20 a month. It was the city of San Diego Parks and Recreation. So that's just for perspective, that would be what, $240 a year to use a really crappy facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Derek Rogers, direct for Park and Recreation. If the current fee for out of county is 150 as forcibly in Lawrence. So any objections we make at 150, which that's probably the facility that's being used by most of the folks outside of Douglas County. And just stay with that and then adjust from there, whether up or down after the first year. Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. Derek, I know when we discussed that as a staff, there was concerns about the charging that same uh, rate for the other facilities and thought since the number was small to start lower, and then depending on the number of people who are actually using the facilities and to work up from there. But we'll certainly defer to whatever you and the board would uh, have us to do as a staff. This, this is Amber Nickel, board member. So I have a question. So if I am out of county and I buy a pass currently to sports pavilion, can I use the other facilities? And otherwise, if I buy a pass to Holcomb, am I not allowed then to use that for sports pavilion? Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager at present, uh, there is not an access card requirement at the other facilities. Therefore, under the uh, proposed access plan that if uh, anyone purchased an access card, they would be able to use all facilities equally as much as they wanted to throughout the year. Okay, so essentially we'd be dropping, if we dropped the price, that would make the sports pavilion price lower. Correct. And okay. you correct me if I'm wrong, but we have very few that are paying the $150 annually at the sports pavilion. Correct. Majority of the time, uh, Taylor Martin, uh, uh, majority of the time is going to be your day passes for people working out during tournaments and stuff like that. Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager, that's where the daily admission fee of $5 comes into play, and that's more of what they're seeing at SPL currently. Uh, this is John, now Bandian board member. Would, um, would it be helpful to the staff if, if the board uh, made a motion to advise the staff to increase that... Uh, 
out-of-county annual fee to $60 a year? Director Rogers, Parks and Recreation, uh, yes, that would be very uh, nice to have some thoughts. Okay, Marilyn, you want to, you kind of push this. Do you want to make the motion? Um, I'm, I'm happy to do that as long as I'm clear on this question of differential pricing between SPL and the other rec centers. Are, are we setting this annual pass at $60 for all facilities or not? All facilities. Okay. Um, I, I would move that the board uh, advise um, the city to increase the annual pass price for out-of-county residents to $60 per year. Okay. Uh, Bart Little John Chair, there's a motion out there by Marilyn Hall to increase the annual fee for out-of-county residents who attend our sports facilities to $60 a year. Uh, is there a second? This is Pat Phillips, board member. I second. Okay. Pat Phillips with a second. Uh, and is there any further discussion or questions? Hearing or seeing none, uh, I'll just do a uh, sound vote on this. All those in favor, of uh, approving the motion, please say aye. And any opposed, please say nay. So all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed, please say nay. Okay, looks like our motion passes. Does that help you guys out? Eric Rogers, Parks Recreation. Yes, appreciate it, thank you. Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager. Thank you, Bart. Do you have any other questions for myself or the staff regarding the policy or procedures going forward? Uh, let me go ahead and put that out there. Does, does anyone else uh, have any uh, further questions there? Bart Little John Chair. Yes, Jackie Becker. Uh, in regards to our, our houseless population, uh, do we work with them if they don't have an ID or they're working on their ID or they're staying at the shelter and working to be residents here? Or do we have uh, flexibility with that in terms of people who are in our community currently and hoping to stay here long term? Uh, Brandy Shoemaker, Recreation Operations Manager, yes. Uh, we will be working uh, with the shelter as well as other organizations to make sure that they have access appropriately to the facilities. Appreciate that. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. I'm not hearing any further questions on that one. No time. <laughs> what was that? Showtime? Oh, All right. sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brendan, you better bring the thunder, man. Okay. I'm bringing it. <laughs> Naming policy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, that early introduction. Uh, but Brendan Downey, advisory board member. Um, Roger, you want to take the lead, actually, and then I'll go? Sure. Um, this is Roger Steinbrock, marketing specialist. Brandy, I mean, not Brandy, but uh, Penny, can I share my screen? Am I yes. able to do that? You have access, yes, or Thank I can. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Uh, 
let's see, share the screen, there we go. Okay, you're seeing the naming policy there in nice orange. Uh, I figured what we'd do is, because last time I know that we had some questions regarding the uh, different policies that we have, and now my screen's not working here. Uh, okay, um, I figured we'd kind of go through the donation policy, the sponsorship policy, and the naming policy very quickly, because I know we need to get through things. Uh, the donation policy outlines how individuals, groups, businesses, organizations can donate property and goods and services to the community. Uh, it basically set, set guidelines for the donor. And now within that contractual agreement, that's also could be some naming possibilities. So if I had a piece of land that I wanted to donate to the um, city, I may have some, some name that I want to give to that park. And then that would go forward to the city commission based on that contractual obligation that was either going to be dismissed or approved by the city commission. Um, we did present this earlier uh, to the city commission for consideration. Uh, they wanted to see an overarching city policy. And at present, I talked with the, uh, you know, I think we're working on the budget stuff right now, but we'll probably be looking back as a city at some point at the donation policy in the near future. Uh, then we have the sponsorship policy that was approved back in 2017, or actually we started in the fall of 2016 at the city commission level. And then they adopted it in 2017 in February with some other, other things that looked at um, the criteria for that. But as it says, the sponsorships are a business relationship. So it's more of a relationship with a business organization or an outside entity with the exchanging of goods or commodities or re financial remuner remuneration uh, for public display of their logo, their name, that type of thing. Um, and then we have a tiered structure for that policy that was approved where each level, the department director has a certain amount uh, level that he can go up to. If it ex exceeds that limit, it would go to the city manager. The city manager could prove up to a certain level and then the overarching city commission then decides everything over a certain amount. Um, so that's kind of the sponsorship policy. And then the naming policy draft, I'm gonna pitch it back over to Brendan real quick. Yeah, thanks, Roger. So like Amber talked about a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago when we um, were going through the draft, Derek laid out a pretty good foundation for us in a draft. And that was based off of some uh, local parks and rec um, like in the state of Kansas, as well as surrounding states and even some uh, further away. And so anyways, the whole purpose was to establish a policy for naming parks uh, rec and recreational areas and facilities. They are in the city of Lawrence. Um, also some of the objectives of the policy include enhancing the sense of community within um, the city and provide a distinct name that is identifiable and recognizable for a given location. Uh, one thing we talked about was just the unmistakable identity of Lawrence. And I, I believe it was Pat that even um, asked that we would continue um, to have that in the policy when we were writing it early on. So thanks for that, Pat. Um, we want to assure the quality of the title name will reserve the purpose in a permanent manner, discouraging renaming. So just with the times, a lot of things are being renamed or taken down or um, and that's appropriate for um, certain aspects, but also we want to ensure that when we're naming something, when it's named, it goes through that process so that basically it doesn't have to be renamed. Obviously, 
Um, if you name a park or a facility after a person, it's always possible that you might have to rename it. But um, we really want to be sure that that doesn't happen if we can avoid it. And then um, parks will be referred to as a park number to avoid a park name um, arbitrarily being given. So, for instance, if there's a park um, by the new, I know that we've talked, there's a park trying to be opened by the new police station. Um, so we wouldn't want it to become police station park. So hopefully it would be given a number that way it won't just become like police station park, if that makes sense. And then finally, we want to provide um, a procedure, provide a procedure encouraging participation from the community of Lawrence. So that is kind of all the things we talked about and this draft includes those. Okay, um, thank you guys. Uh, with that, if you guys are ready, I would uh, like to open it up for questions. Anybody have any questions for them? This is Pat, board member. Um, is there going to be a committee that um, when a park is to be decided on a name, is there going to be a committee that goes through all this process with that new park naming? Yeah, thanks, Pat. This is Brendan. Uh, Roger, can you just pull up the policy and then we can, I can just kind of go through that really quick. Would that be okay? Roger, I have it ready. Okay. Go ahead, Kenny, if you would. This was also attached to um, your agenda. It's also available online. Page three, Penny. That's where the procedure is that we're talking. Brendan, did you want me to speak to it at all? Or? Uh, yeah, go, go ahead. That's okay. fine. Roger Steinbrock, marketing specialist. The way that it's set up, Pat, is it, it kind of allows for committee, um, and that's up to the discretion of the director. Um, and, and the way that we kind of set this up is that when a park comes before the, the board to be naming, it would take at least 30 days because it wouldn't be until the next meeting that that's a point where where we would actually ask you to recommend a name to go to the city commission. So there is a 30 day window at least in the, in the process for the public to get an input. Um, if you look down, let's see. Uh, uh, let's see. And I'm sorry, I should have read this over and had some earmarks by some of this stuff. Um, if you go at that first bullet point, each park, it does say a subcommittee of the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board may be convened at the Parks and Recreation Director's direction to explore, develop, and or review suggested names for parks, recreational areas or facilities purchased or acquired by the city. Uh, committees could also include members of a neighborhood association or neighborhoods of the park, land, or facility when a neighborhood association is not active. I mean, so basically we're looking at other opportunities to bring people in from the community, whether it be a neighborhood association 
for those those people that surround that park or that facility uh, that they would have input into the process as well. Um, you know, I always think of public process as a good thing. Um, so I, I honestly think the director probably would want to have uh, committees for these types of things to go, to actually vet names and vet processes. The, in, in this regard, um, this would be for like a piece of land. The way that I look at this is that if the city purchases a piece of land and it's just there as they, as Brendan mentioned, um, and I think it was uh, Amber that found this in some other place that we put in there where they, they gave it park, parkland number one or 2B or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then that numbered lot would then become a name process. And at some point, the city wants to basically develop the park. That's where the committee would kind of be formed. Uh, looking at where it is within the city, then going to the neighborhood association and maybe getting a small group of people so that you don't have the full board invested in the project, but a subcommittee of the board to kind of do some of that work and vetting of names and, and really coming up with the process that you would want. Because some parks are going to be bigger than others. There's going to be pocket parks, uh, neighborhood parks, regional parks that you may have that may require some bigger more in-depth uh, naming process that the board would want to do. Uh, this is John Nalbandian, board member. I did, uh, I looked at what you sent us, uh, Roger, and um, and I had, I had kind of a puzzling thought myself, which is we're, we're very used to seeing public um, recreation facilities like arenas having a uh, private sponsor. So that's in the name and so on. Um, I'm thinking like at that park, you, to you referred to the park by the police station. I mean, would we entertain or actually seek out a naming opportunity, a sponsorship, naming opportunity for a private business for a park. Have we have we thought about that? I, I would probably defer to to Derek in that regard, but I, I believe we have never looked in that direction. It could be a possibility that we would do that. Um, I know we have in the past with the sports pavilion, that's the one that we really used as that benchmark. And um, I know from the, the changeover in commissions that we had, the philosophy kind of changed. Um, but Derek, I'll leave that answer for you. To kind yeah, of Derek Rutgers, Director of Parks Recreation. Uh, that's not something that I really thought about. And like Roger was mentioning, usually think about a facility um, there have been lands that have been donated that the donor of the land is sometimes named the sponsor of the park or the park's named after that individual. Uh, this is something I'll have to look at a little closer. Uh, this is Bart Littlejohn, uh, Chair. Uh, the only thing I might be worried about is uh, what happens if that company does something disreputable and then that park is named after that company still. Um, this is this is John Nalbandian. 
uh, board member. Uh, Bart, I think in the in the uh, policy, it says something about that. That if if something is done that's unethical or whatever, then the naming will be reviewed, or whatever, or whatever the language, whatever the language is. But I think it accounts for proper behavior. Okay. Bart, if I may, uh, Roger Steinbrock's marketing specialist. I would kind of look towards a sponsorship policy to kind of direct the action of a sponsorship. This is more for just naming of a park that's a typical park or a facility. With, with sponsorship, you get into, the sponsorship policy actually goes into, you would have a time frame. I know with the hospital, it was a five-year time frame that we have with the presenting sponsorship. So after five years, we're going through a renegotiation right now, currently with them to get them to sign up for the next five years. That's typically what you would see with sponsorships uh, to name a facility overall. Like I think I brought up Sandstone uh, in, in the discussion last time in terms of the name that's attached to that. Um, and so in terms of if somebody is doing something disreputable, then yes, it would be taken care of. But I think we would actually move it to the sponsorship policy who are going to look for a sponsor to, to fund the you know, to basically do a park naming. Gotcha. I gotcha. Thank you, Roger. So, so this is John Nalbandian, board member. So I think that's the issue that I'm bringing up is um, can we can we entertain the possibility of a sponsor, a private sponsor for a park? I mean, I don't think I like that, <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, if a business is going to give us a hundred thousand dollars to name uh, the police park, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to shut the door on that. Right, and I, I this is Roger Steinbrock, marketing super uh, specialist. I guess that's what my title is these days. Um, on page two of the document, Penny, if you can scroll down to that, um, about two thirds of the way down, uh, this paragraph that's naming may be considered based on provision of significant funding that underwrites the cost of renovation, construction of city property. It actually spells out that sponsorship policy section, uh, section eight uh, C for relevant information that city commission one in, in determining any sponsorship proposal. So. As you mentioned, uh, John, we could take into consideration any any outside business organization that wants to put their name on a facility. We have the process through the sponsorship policy that we already have in the books. And I, I thought it was important that we wrote that in because I know you brought up the point last time. So I made sure that we had that sponsorship policy and those types of the things that they look for for underwriting. Um, mm -hmm that they're attached to this as well. So we could refer back to that, that part of the sponsorship policy if need be. John Nalbandian again, if we're okay with a private business sponsoring a park, that would, in, that would give us an opportunity to work with the chamber to identify businesses that might be interested 
and the chamber could help us on that in that regard. Now, I'm not saying to do that because I, I, I you know, I'm not, I don't, personally, I don't like the, <laughs> the idea, but nevertheless, if it can bring in a substantial amount of money that would help us maintain a park, not, I'm not gonna say no right Dr. off the uh, Marketing specialist. You know, I, I would think that this could even be from the director's point of view. So if we have a piece of land, such as the park that is yet to be named, um, and he were to want to maybe look into this opportunity and even get the board's feeling on that, he could start a subcommittee um, to kind of look into that issue overarching in terms of looking at it from the sponsorship policy and a naming policy standpoint, kind of looking at the different uh, options there and then bringing it back to the full board for discussion there as well. That's another opportunity that uh, could be presented as well. And Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, let's say Mutt Run Dog Park. Somebody comes along and says, we want to sponsor it. Um, which is great. I think the park would still be Mutt Run Dog Park sponsored by um, whatever dog food company or something like that. My concern is, business. how about that? There you go. <laughs> My concern is if we say name to park um, after the sponsorship, sponsorships are usually timed. And so you see the names on sponsorship change all the time. Sandstone's a great example. Do you, my concern is we might be changing the name of a park, which I think I'd rather change the name of a sponsor of a park that is named than changing the name of a park. Food for thought. Bart Little John Chair. Yeah, I was kind of thinking along the same lines. Thank you for voicing it out there. Um, and actually the same example, uh, Verizon slash Sandstone slash Cricket slash yet to be named. You know, um, but uh, also uh, our little John chair, uh, regarding the overall document itself, do we have any problems with it? Like uh, uh, just uh, the, how it, I mean, I, I think it's great that it funnels it from a subcommittee to the greater parks and rec advisory board than to the city commission. So, um, but uh, does anybody have any questions about the, the document itself as well? Val um, Renault, board member. I don't really have a question. I just want to say this helped Roger since I have been on the sponsorship committee and we have gone around and around with some definitions to see the three categories. Um, and so that, that makes things more clear for me. And I agree with what Derek said about the parks. It's, you know, thinking about the parks that we have now, none of them is really named for anything commercial, you know. So and I think that it's good that you built that sponsorship option in, in there. So thank you for doing that. John, if I may, Roger Steinbrock, marketing specialist. I wasn't looking for any type of vote of recommendation at this meeting. What I was wanting to do is to present it and for you guys to kind of soak it in and also let the public see it at this point too, uh, before we came back to the board next month to 
get uh, your recommendation for furthering it on to the city commission or not. Um, that way we have time to kind of review it and you guys can poke holes in it a little more if you want. I, I just, I, I really want to make sure it's a great document before we take it to the city commission. And so I, you know, I just request that you review it and share it with folks and get their input as well before we were, were to ask you for recommendation uh, of moving it forward or not. Art Little John Chair, thank you for that clarification, Roger. And uh, also thank you for your work on it as well as Brendan and uh, Amber, uh, we really appreciate it. Okay, guys, looks like we have some homework. If you can, go ahead and spread the word about naming I, rights. Yeah, I just have a question. This is Val Renault. Is the not to be called police park um, process underway yet? Because the police building's done, so I don't know when the work... Is, well, I, Yeah, what's the status of that? Val, I was... Uh, this is Roger Steinbrock, marketing specialist. That's one of the reasons why Derek wanted to have this policy in place was because that one's coming right down the, the track. Uh, Parkland number one, we'll call it, just for the sake of not calling it whatever that other name was that people kind of put to it. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I I want to thank also Brendan and, and uh, Amber as well. Uh, there's been some meetings back and forth and one that I missed last or two Fridays ago that uh, I was on, I actually had a day off, but I still was working and should have been done with my lawn mowing duties a little earlier than I planned. But uh, anyway, um, thank you too for, for your work on this as well. It's greatly appreciated. Good deal. All right. All right. Um, like I said before, folks, if you can go ahead and, let your respective communities know or anybody you think might be interested in it and so we can get as much input as possible. Any Holler management analyst, and keep in mind, this is attached to the agenda, so it is publicly available, this draft. Okay. All right, uh, if there are no further questions, I'll go ahead and move us on. Um, looks like our next item is the Oak Hill Cemetery Potter's Field update. Okay. Doug Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Um, thought I had my sheet with me. I talked to the cemetery staff a little bit this morning. Pottersfield, uh, I think you are aware that uh, the city clerk's office found an old map that showed um, the relative positions of where the graves are in the potter's field, but we don't know exactly where they are. Um, some community members, Carrie Alterburn is one of them, uh, friends of Oak Hill, and the KU uh, Geological Survey um, are working to use a ground penetrating radar to help identify more accurately where those graves are in potter's field. So we've got a general idea, for example, where the three lynching victims are. So that, that is of interest to a lot of folks right now. Um, and this should be able to identify exactly where those graves are located based on the maps that we do have available. Signage out of Pottersfield, uh, we're meeting with Lynn Zoller uh, Thursday. 
just had a lot of inputs on, uh, we'd like to do some signage of more about Pottersfield, who's buried there, <clears throat> and some of that. And so we're getting input on what type of signage and uh, where that will be located, things like that. So that's been the big things right now. I know there's a, a group for Memorial Day that's going out and believe they have a memorial service for the three individuals that were victims of lynching Memorial Day. I think that's going to be big out there. I know Friends of Oak Hill is going to be big out there on Memorial Day weekend. So continuing to do a lot of uh, a lot of prep for Memorial Day, staff's been working with to uh, make sure that the ground is like well and uh, continue to just keep working the process. Are there questions about how to do Welcome to the messaging service. You have five new voice messages and one safe. Okay. Uh, this is Bart Littlejohn. I, I don't think that was me, uh, but somebody should probably get that. Um, uh, just, I just wanted to ask, uh, so was there any further information about that group going out uh, regarding lynching victims uh, on Memorial Day? Uh, just, just for my own personal edification, uh, what time it would be and things of that sort. I will find the information. I'll forward it out to the board and the normal stuff. Just don't reply all. If you want to reply back individually, if you have questions, uh, I'll leave that out. Thank you, Derek. Appreciate it. Um, were there any other further questions for uh, Derek regarding? Uh, Oak Hill Cemetery. All right. Thank you for the update, Derek. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Uh, I'll move us to our next item. Uh, concerns or uh, items of interest for the board. I know we probably have at least a couple, right? I think. Val? I just had a question for uh, Derek and Mark, I guess. Um, since the city commission axed that project to put 27, sorry, through the mutt run, um, will any of those other improvements be made, like adding washing stations or maybe even the restroom? Turning off the... Thank Rogers Parks Rec. It sounds like somebody's voicing their opinion about Mutt Run. I'll let Mark talk a little bit about Mutt Run because there are some improvements going on, but he can give you a better picture. Okay. Yeah, Mark Hecker, assistant director of Parks and Rec. I thought I was going to sit here the whole meeting and not say anything. I'm feeling left out. Um, so there was just press release sent out this uh, Friday and today talking about trail improvements. So we're going to work on those hopefully this week. So we're gonna create a loop around the park. We've submitted a CIP project for, uh, I think it's 2023 to do $150,000 improvement out there. So that'd be a restroom and an improvement to parking. So um, we're still got it in the cycle. We can't really use the money that was dedicated towards that 27th street project because of the funding source for it. So, but yeah, I think we wanna to continue to look at um, the ways to improve the dog park. 
I, I think uh, this is Bart Little John Cheer. I think Val says thank you. Her, her, I'm not sure if her her friend, her furry friend, is cooperating right now. It's the uh, yeah. Thank you. She knows there's, she knows there's salmon in the kitchen. So I'm sorry. Turning this off. <laughs> um. Uh, so on my point, uh, I think I might uh, have a couple. First, uh, I think we were sent an email regarding La Yarda, uh, I think it was. Uh, I just want to know if there was anything further about that. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I did uh, talk with Nora, and I recall, I need to go back there because I'm very curious to see the property and the old foundations from the 1920s. Um, right now it's BNSF, I believe, property. And uh, the group had talked about, could the city lease it? Um, that really isn't something, you know, on short notice that you know, we would be thinking about. And the potential, I would see that it is adjacent to city property that, you know, maybe that'd be something that BNSF would not have a problem with turning over to the city of Orange or donating the property. It's mainly wooded. I don't see anything that the railroad would be using the property for, but it is kind of a landlocked property, which is uh, tough. And so what are the uses of that property? Uh, I look forward to seeing the films. I've seen the advertisements and uh, want to see what they've got going. Um, but other than touching base, uh, with Nora via emails and one phone call. Um, don't don't have much to provide more in an update than that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, well, thank you for that. Yeah, and, and on my point, I, I'm just also just interested because uh, just in the greater conversation of, um, you know, uh, pockets of, you know, neighborhoods and cultural significance for people of color in this town, um, I, I think that would be pretty cool if we could find some way to, you know, bring that to light, you know, like we're doing, you know, with Robinson Park and then also with the bridge with the uh, lyn lynching victims and um, another aspect of this town. So um, I think anything we can do to go ahead and, uh, you know, shine that light on folks is a, a good thing. Um, and I had another thing uh, regarding uh, Sandra Shaw. So I know in the work with the crisis center, uh, they were they were doing some some work on that, and uh, they they did some work on the culvert. Uh, but uh, there is, uh, I believe, the drainage on it like goes into Sandra Shaw. Had had you guys noticed that? Like when it rains really heavily, it kind of floods down in there. Architect or system director, are you talking about where they're currently building those new facilities up top? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I believe before it used to be an open culvert, but now they've kind of covered it up and then they put like uh, some drainage in there. But there's an exit point that kind of goes into the uh, plain area of Sandra Shaw and kind of floods it out a little bit. So I have not noticed that, but I'll go take a look. Yeah, I can send you some photos. Uh, some residents of ours took photos of it when a during a really, really hard rain. And uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> so, but I just, I, I, if you guys didn't know, I thought I'd bring this to your attention. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Send me whatever you have. We'll go take a look. Okay. Um, does anybody else have any uh, anything else for Parks uh, and Rec? Amber? Amber Nickel, board member. I just wanted to give a shout out to Derek. I participated in the Friends of the Caw River cleanup and only had like an hour or so, but I started on the north side of the river and that was your basic, you know, fisherman litter and just, you know, wasn't too bad over there. Um, and then Don Bueller, the riverkeeper was like, well, you know, there's, we've got the young, able people on the south side cleaning up. And I went over there and I never saw Derek, um, but I know you were over there. And I'll just say that I was shocked at truly how, how bad the trash situation is over there. Um, but I appreciated you being out there and having a presence and, a, and representing Parks and Rec on that day. So thank you. And it was very impressive turnout for our community. So we should be proud of that. Thanks, Amber, uh, Derek Rogers, Parks and Recreation. The, the volunteers that have done cleanups have just been phenomenal this year. For, that was Earth Day with Don Beeler and Friends of the Call. Uh, they'd estimated over 100 people. When we uh, met up across the Union Depot, there was quite a few, and I would say 40 to 50 went over to the uh, behind the Santa Fe Depot woods, um, and we filled up seven dumpsters. That tells you how much stuff came out. Those woods looked really good behind Santa Fe. I didn't uh, see the North Horn, the other side of the river, but uh, I was very impressed with how much they were able to get done. Yeah, it was impressive across the board. So proud, proud moment for us to get that cleaned up. This is Marilyn Hull, but board member. Is, is there any thought to preventing the accumulation of trash by providing trash bags, dumpsters, or some other means for the campers to um, dispose of trash? Derek Rogers, Parks Recreation. We, we do. Uh, one of the things we're running up against is the city of Orange is running out of roll-off dumpsters and then it's access to a dumpster. So Virtual Park is a place that's been requested. Um, one of the locations, if you get it near the camp, um, it's can we get it down in there and can we get it out if it's wet or muddy and, and that's a challenge. Um, I love it when the campers themselves say we want to clean this up because that means our staff doesn't have to do it or volunteers help us. So we're always open to, to helping them help us. Um, some people are very good about doing that and they want to help and other people that they don't, uh, they won't. And until we kind of push the issue and say, we're going to be out here cleaning up tomorrow and then they'll want a little more time. Uh, but yes, I, I think that's great. We do have a dumpster behind the Santa Fe Depot towards the center. Um, restrooms are another commodity that are usually requested to have clothes. Uh, yeah, it, it's just a challenge. Mark's going to, I think Mark's reaching for his cursor. Yeah, Mark Hecker, system director. And one of the problems with the open dumpsters is they become open dumpsters for just anyone who wants to clean out the garage. So we saw that at Birchland Park. We had one there with the intent of cleaning up homeless camps. And basically it came with mattresses and chairs and things that pretty sure didn't come out of the woods. So um, that's a little bit of a technical problem that we deal with anytime we have a dumpster that becomes open invitation for anyone who wants to clean the garage out. So, 
Uh, one more point, Val, I did look up the, the CIP plan we put together for the dog park. It's in 2022, it's $175,000 to replace, to install um, modern restrooms and improve parking at the dog park. All right, uh, does anybody have anything else? Items of interest? Oh, Marilyn? Um, this is Marilyn Hull, board member. Mark, can you give us an update on the construction of the extension of the Burroughs Creek Trail? I thought that was supposed to happen early spring, and at least the last time I went by, I didn't see anything. What's going on with that? Yeah, Mark Hecker, assistant director of Parks and Rec. Yeah, we're, we're snagged on one easement down on 29th Street. So the KDOT will not let us bid it unless we have all easement um, procured basically. So what we've done is ask the design engineers to design around that property. They basically just didn't want to give us the, the easement across. So that's the only thing holding up. I'm hoping we're going to get it out to bid here in May. So we're still looking at a summer construction, but it's definitely behind schedule. I was hoping we would be starting construction by now. So it's, I think the summer project still, and that'll go from 29th Street, that little gap, and then from 11th Street up to 8th Street. So that'll be the, that phase. And then we have two other projects that are working also. So we have the one over from Peterson Park past the Hallmark underneath the, the Turnpike entrance and over to Michigan. So that's one that we're currently designing. And then uh, the one that'll be in the future from Michigan over to Sanders Shaw Park. So we're making nice progress. Thank you, Mark. All righty. Uh, is there any uh, further questions there? Okay, seeing as there are none, I'll go ahead and move us on to the uh, staff update. Does anyone have any questions regarding the staff update I was sent out? All right, I'm hearing radio silence. Uh, Derek Rogers, Parks and Recreation. Mark does have some updated photos. Oh. I can share those from the uh, Bertram Park um, row house shelter, but they're looking really cool. And so I, I think you really ought to see those and do justice to seeing the concrete pad. Mark, it's photo time. Okay. You, you're challenging my go find that, Derek. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. We can talk about ourselves until uh, Mark's able to find those photos. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you promised photos, but you don't have photos? I, I didn't know I promised, but apparently I did. I, I, I'll forward you that real quick. I can find them if you can. It's too much pressure. I can't find it. We'll send it out to you. Mark's bailing. I know. All right. I feel bad. All right. Well, um, I found them. I can afford them the penny if you want penny to put them up. That helps. That'd be great. Is that going to be challenging the penny? Nope, we can do it. Okay, coming your way.
This is Val Renoa. We're waiting. Well, you did send a couple of pictures of the con the concrete base. That's right. Um, and I did see kids using the stage down at South Park tonight. So it's getting used. <laughs> yeah, Mark Hecker, Parks and Rec. Yeah, the stage has been kind of fun to watch them. It's kind of after school programming in the evening. So it's kind of been fun to see that activity over there. I haven't actually seen the performances. I, I heard they got pretty good crowds for them. Jackie Becker, I can hear it from at my house and it, it sounds awesome. So I'm hoping it's good crowds because it sounds like good crowds. And Derek Rogers, Parks Recreation. Looking at it from the river, the white that you see is for the uh, protection or the the true shade, whereas the red and blue on top um, is really prominent when you see it from crossing the river on the bridge. There's one. Might be the best one. Give you an idea of the current status. Mark Hecker, assistant director. So the idea is you see the shelter structure itself. Um, we're working on a pretty extensive landscape plan that will lay in some rock walls out in front of it. And there'll be a new um, ADA sidewalk put down in the parking lot. Eventually we'll get a swing, new swing over there to kind of move the swings up a little bit closer to the river. So I think probably in the next uh, three to four weeks, we ought to be able to complete the project. So you can see there, the shelter sets up a little higher than the ground. So we'll put a, a big rock wall in front of that to kind of level our, our landscape area. But it's kind of a cool view down the river. Amber Nickel, board member. I'm curious, so is there electricity still to that shelter and will there be barbecue grills nearby? Like what was lost and what will be replaced? Mark Hecker, assistant director. So you can see the little electrical pedestal there that's sticking up next to the post. So we were able to get electricity back in there. Um, barbecue grills, we'll probably take a look at that. We will have a new water fountain there. So yeah, everything that was there before we'll have again. You know, we haven't quite decided on what we want to do with tables because we, we went a little crazy and did an oval concrete pad just so we didn't have a box out there. So we may look at something a little different on tables too. We know we need to nail them down so they don't end up floating down the river, so. Uh, Jackie Becker, will there be any uh, bike racks or bike parking near that area also? That is something that I believe we could do. Bart Little John Chair, uh, that's a great idea, Jackie, considering that uh, there will be a proposed, uh, uh, what was it, kayak station or, uh, you know, canoe station next or somewhere near there, near the boathouse, so. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, but uh, yeah, and on a side note, I would, I would like to comment that, uh, so this is what happens when you give Mark free reign, huh? Okay. Mark Hecker, it, I would have probably put a purple if I had whole free reign, but- Whoa, whoa, but whoa, whoa, dude, no, no. 
<laughs> no. Parks and Recreation, I was biting my tongue, but he said it first. So that's good. We talked about all different colors, but we thought about, well, KU's Roadhouse. Since we're close to the KU Boathouse, I thought we ought to stick with the little more traditional Lawrence. This is Marilyn Hull. Is that kind of watertight with all those different panels? Like if you had an event and it was rainy, would you stay dry under there? Mark Hecker, assistant director, you would you would stay drier than being outside the shelter, but it it's not, if you look straight up, it's not a watertight canopy. So, you know, it's more of a shade structure than it is a, a shelter from rain. The sails are supposed to hold up to a hundred mile an hour wind. So hopefully we don't test that or we'll have cottonwoods laying all over the place. Uh, yeah, it, Bart Little John Chair, uh, given, given Marilyn's comment, probably you'd, you'd probably want to enter that into any sort of agreement that anybody wants to have an event there. So or go ahead and let them know ahead of time to prepare for that. Good idea. All right. Uh, does anybody else else have anything regarding the staff update? Uh, John Nalbandian. Um, you know, I just have a general comment, which is that when you look at uh, uh, citizen surveys about satisfaction with city services, Parks and Rec is always so high. You know, we need we need to take advantage of that. And I think people would be very interested in the the kind the kinds of having like three minute videos on um, the landscaping of this park. A three-minute video on this is what we're anticipating in this roundabout. A three-minute video on this is the new shelter. This is what we're anticipating. These are the pros and cons. I, um, I, 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 you know, I, it may be that KU, you know, has a department that has students who are willing to make these kinds of videos and then post them on the city's website. Uh, we just take advantage of how, how proud people are of, um, of what we do in parks or what the staff does in Parks and Rec. So just a comment. Eric Ryder, Parks Director. I, it's one of those things we get tasked and pulled in so many different ways. And there's so many great projects out there and, and I'm looking into a few of them for you, John, on some conversations we had. Um, it's just so much to do in some little time, but it, it's always brainstorming, like you said, thinking outside the box. Maybe it's a KU, can you do some projects? Maybe it's uh, some kind of um, competition for film your favorite park or what you think is yeah. cool. Video yeah. that. Yeah. I'm all about getting other people to do the work for us because we're running short of staff. So. Oh, hey, wait, John, now, Benny, 
would it, how about this? What, I mean, it's just totally off the board. I know it's not part of the agenda, whatever. But what if we sponsored a, um, a like a contest of send us a, a video that has, um, you know, audio, audio video um, of your favorite park and why it's your favorite park. And three minute video of your favorite park with narration. I would love to see what we come, what, what people come up with. I'm sorry, I think about those kinds of things. It's, I know, off the board. I, this is Val Renault, um, board member. I just wanted to say, since Roger's not here anymore, that I know he's had um, interns generally work for him, make great videos and put them on Facebook. I think the contest idea is really fun, but there, there is a lot of staff time that then, you know, has to go into um, sorting those and stuff. But um, I just wanted to give Roger a shout out for the stuff that he does. And um, a, a lot of it does depend on interns who probably come from KU most of the time. Also, also just as someone who's worked with videos, even three minutes is too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> most yeah. people won't watch more than a couple minutes, if that. Wow. But uh, those are all uh, valid points. Uh, but uh, in uh, the, uh, the honor of time, our time, I would like to kind of rein us in, though, because I want to make sure that uh, I get us out of here at a decent time. Uh, John, could you follow up with staff on those, though? I mean, I think they're valid points. So I think that, you know, it's worth exploring. But uh, I want to make sure that people can, you know, get away to do what they need to do tonight. So um, I think Val brings up a good point. And I mean, Derek has to decide, you know, the time and how much to invest in that and so on. Um, does anybody else have any, uh, any further things for the staff update? Okay. That being said, uh, I would entertain it. Oh, first of all, I want to let you know our next meeting is Monday, June 14th. So be there, be square. Okay, now I would entertain a motion to adjourn if there is one out there. We're so adjourned. I, I will I make a motion to adjourn. Amber, Amber, I'm sorry. Amber Nichol. I'll, sorry, I'll second the motion, John Nelbanian. John Nelbanian wants to second. Um, uh, seeing as there probably isn't any discussion or questions, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 There are no nays, and your chair is slap happy. All right. That's, that's, we're done. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>